go, everybody. Oh, I like your <laughs> Kevin. I like your comic book. You're muted though. But maybe that's you're supposed to be. Carol's computer is stuck updating right now. So that's where it's got a few more minutes left and then we will be on. <laughs> so I feel like I manifested this moment last week or when we were, sorry, when we were in Arizona, because I said the Kim and Kevin show is the best show. We're updating. You're updating. You know what? This is like software a- is updating. That's, where, that's fine. My computer, it says two minutes left, but who knows mm-hmm. if it's telling the All truth. Right, That's okay. I have so many things prepared and I feel like this might be my opportunity to get my list done. (laughs) Get the list done. I'm up for that. It's like the voice, right? Kevin's got like the, why don't you just jump into Kevin's computer there? (laughs) It's got one one minute. That's okay. One minute remaining. That's okay. It gives everybody else a time to join in. It gives me time to compile my list. There you go. There you go. (laughs) I hope everybody's been doing well. The list is growing... Today, we're not going to deviate from the list one time. You know what? I don't think that has ever happened. But that's okay. And even when I interviewed other people, we never get through the list. It's just like a really great idea. It's like this. I'm just impressed that you have any sort of outline or organization. So yeah, that's awesome. I live for lists and like checking boxes. I get this like surge of happiness. Even when I go to the grocery store and I like click strawberries, lettuce, tomatoes, have all the things. Yeah. I'm a list maker and somebody has to keep the show on the tracks. So any idea how unusual the combination is of GABA and dopamine? Oh, You've told me this before, yes. Yeah. It's wonderful. Here, I can turn. Oh, where's the camera? Oh, there I am. Hi. Hi. We're very black and white today. Oh, good. (laughs) We are all black and white. I'm just playing around. No, I can start with the list. My computer is, it it lied. It said about a minute. There it goes. There it is. Just because you threatened its life that it started to, okay, I'll probably not hurry up. That's how I was today. I have exciting news. I became an American citizen. Um, today? Not today, but February 11th. So it was a very cool ceremony. Okay. I was going to say, I thought you already had done that. So. I did. But today I sent away from my American passport. So like it was a thing. So I feel, and when I was trying to get parking, my Park Plus app took forever to update. And so I feel okay. like I've... That's deja vu only with Carol's computer. Just, oh, so if you do the drop down menu, you should see podcasts. <laughs> Hear it there. This is a fantastic episode. Everybody, welcome. Send <laughs> in your questions already because we're going to deviate from the list probably instantaneously as soon as Carol's computer jumps on. <laughs> no, the list, I had an FSM epiphany the other day. And I felt like I answered all of my questions about the FSM universe in one like moment. So I'm really excited to share all of this, like where to start? How do I do this? It was like this, this image that came to me. So I'm going to share it. That's my list. <laughs> there you go. So that's the whole. There is. Oh, you're muted. You're muted again. Never mind. I think we're starting. I feel like there should be a drum roll when Carol like enters into the room. But we do have a list. We have a lot of questions that came to me and I think to to both of us. So I do have them on list. So if you've been emailing the FSM Sports website and if you've been putting things on Instagram, I have some of your questions here. So I hope everybody stay tuned for the answers because I can't answer them myself. I need Dr. Carol for that, who looks like she's about to appear. Yes, we did it. We did it. We always do it. We overcame iCloud updates, Microsoft. We did it. We always overcome. We always overcome. We've had this like storm of questions in the last week. Tell me. Really juicy ones. But I have to start with my epiphany that I had. Okay. So when I was teaching at the advanced, I was training for this race, right? So I was running every morning before I lectured. And I found that that really helps me actually, because I get really spinny when I teach. And so it helped ground me for the rest of the day and give me good energy. And the people that came to the course, and I say this every year, are like hungry and enthusiastic. And 
I feed off that energy and they feed off of my energy. So by the end of the three days, we're like a room full of super balls that are just like all over the place. Keep getting better. But I had this image when I was running and I, I try, I tend to meditate when I'm running. And I was thinking about this path, this beautiful path in the forest that I was navigating through. Okay. You're with me, right? And the sun is coming through the trees and it smells good. And I have to do this when I'm on a treadmill because I loathe the treadmill. Like I love running outside. With a passion. And I felt like I was in like my FSM journey as I was going through this pathway. And as I was metaphorically running, I was jumping over roots and streams and rocks. And I feel like if we can think about an FSM treatment, about going through a path and just thinking, what is in my way or what is in the body's way of healing? Oh, yeah. So this thought process has created nothing short of miracles since I returned from Arizona. And I don't think the patients got easier. I think my creative way ways of thinking just became sharper. And especially after the plethora of lectures that we had to listen to that made your brain go like way over here, thinking about it's not just tissue. The other thing that happens when I listen to the case reports. Yeah. So if you're just by yourself in your own practice, in your own lane, seeing the kind of patients, it takes 27 years to get that much mileage. When we have 18 case reports at the symposium, you get to borrow, you get to shorten your learning curve by however many years because you have other people's experience. Yes. So yeah, I'm yes, back to you. No, but that, that this is exactly it. So you're around all these amazing practitioners from so many different areas of expertise. And I think that is the catalyst because normally when most of us do professional continuing education seminars, we're in a room full of the same people who all think the same way, who only have one way of going through the path. One set of education that told them one set of things. Exactly. And so the advance makes your brain hurt. Oh, yeah. But in the best sort of way, it's just like muscle soreness after a great workout. It was like, man, that hurts, but it was so worth it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think I mentioned this last because last week was International Women's Day. And I had all these great like women things I wanted to talk about. And I still have to ask you a couple of these things. But there was this woman CEO who was talking about how she was in this male-driven industry. I believe she was in oil and gas. And they were asking her like the ways to her success and how she got there and how she overcame all this adversity working in this like super male toxic environment. And she said, the most important thing I thought about every single day is who's at the table and who's missing. Oh, I like that. I know. And I had to think about that for a little bit too, because she kept saying it over and over again. And so I I have three kids and I love the, I love it when all five of us are at the dinner table together, because in a busy family, that almost never happens. So when I was doing a treatment the other day, I kept thinking about this, who's at the table and who's missing. And that was helping me sort through the frequencies, right? What are my givens? What do I know? What is my slam dunk? Those are people at my table, always something missing. And so if we can think about, so again, I'm going through this metaphorical like path, going through roots under trees and jumping over streams. And then I'm at my dinner table (laughs) and I, and then I'm thinking, yeah, who's, who's at my table, who's missing and what is in, what is the resistance to healing that I'm, and we have a frequency for resistance to healing, but I think more often than not, the more we practice, the more complicated the patients are coming in and we need to start thinking about those outside pieces of what has everybody missed in this person's story. And the secret to success for me is pattern recognition. Yeah. And what is missing in everybody else that's treated this patient? Pattern recognition. Yeah. So a patient arrived Monday and Tuesday. I had her just for the two days. Her first day, we spent two and a half hours 
on the history. It was seven pages handwritten. <clears throat> and she's had MRIs, PET scans, spec scans showing multiple, what do they call it? White spots throughout her brain, but especially at the thalamus and the basal ganglia. And she has, but I knew it was the thalamus because of pattern recognition. There was her pain diagram and it was her head, her neck, both of her arms, her spine, and both legs. And the pain diagram has a leg that's this big. Her pain diagram was outside the line and covered in X's. And before she told me anything about the four auto accidents and the MRI and the spec scan and the PET scan, which we got to at the very end of two and a half hours, I looked at the, that diagram and said, only time I've ever seen that is when somebody's had a thalamic stroke. Then at the end of two and a half hours at seven pages, there's bright spots around her thalamus and she has involuntary movements and there are bright of her legs, like her legs just and go down and her feet come back and go down and her legs go up and go down. And she said, I'm not doing that. My legs are doing that. So either she has a conversion disorder, doesn't act like dystonia, but then she, in the history, which was before that, she said, oh yeah, there are white spots around my basal ganglia as well. So you look up dystonia or involuntary movements and it says basal ganglia. So that matched her imaging. Well, I'm a freak. So I ran 40 and 89 and her body pain disappeared. Like it was easy. And she already had a unit that was prescribed by a practitioner. Then she bought another unit and then she took the core and then she bought a custom care. And she said, yeah, just write down the numbers that I need to treat myself at home to keep my pain down. It's pattern recognition. The only reason I know pattern of thalamic strokes is I've seen, what, that many of them? And it, so it's nice not to have to do that yourself. Yeah. To be able to see what somebody else has seen through their eyes. I looked at this patient and this is what I ran. Then the patient got better. That's what case yeah. reports are about. Right. Yes. Going back to case reports. And that is, again, the beautiful thing of having so many practitioners from different walks of life sharing what is very easy for them to see. I can see biomechanics a mile away. So I know if the GH joint isn't moving, the scapula is going to do this. That, you're right. There's a pattern recognition that's there. And you should not be anxious to think that you need to be an expert in all these different fields. That's why there are case reports. But if you can see something once, you're more apt to see it again. So if so, just us telling our stories that we see in the clinic is hopefully helping inspire and enlighten other practitioners. Maybe it's X, Y, and Z. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of pattern recognition, I have a nugget to share. I want to talk about we have opening opening up our netters, right? And I was looking at the netters at the advance because it was new and the cover was different and mine is like tattered and pages and it's just, it's been through. Well loved. It's been very well loved. It's been dropped in the bathtub. It's been everywhere because that's how I used to study. But we were talking, somebody was asking about connective tissue, frequency for connective tissue, 77. And someone was saying, Kim, isn't connective tissue every tissue? Isn't every tissue connective? And it's not. So here's my nugget, and you may fight me on this one. When I open up my netters and I'm trying to get inspired about what the tissue looks like, because I know my anatomy, origin, insertion, innervation, that's never left, but we think about the tissues differently now. So I want to see, I want to visualize, is it flat? Is it long? Is it smushy? Is it square? What's on top of it? Where's the vessel? Where's the nerve? Where's the organ? There's so many other layers to look at now. Yeah. So when in doubt, when you're looking at connective tissue, 
or when you're thinking about it, I teach it in the sports course. It's especially useful in that musculotendinous junction. And when you're worried about where is the musculotendinous junction or what structure in netters, when he is illustrating a lot of the connective tissue or muscle tissue, when it's white, it's connective tissue. So when it's fluffy and red, it's well vascularized in his illustration. So if you're a netters geek, it's, yeah, it's muscle belly. And then you can go to your sarcomere, sarcoplasma, blah, 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 blah. But when it starts to turn into white, so when you see a white IT band, for example. And it also usually connects muscle to periosteum, muscle to bone. Correct. It's, yeah, that. Yeah. So when you see like the aponeurosis, when you see retinaculum, when you see iliotibial tracts, like those things that just oozes 77, that is connective tissue. And of course there's fascia and adipose and all the other things in there. Exactly. There, there's my nugget. Oh, you got it. That's exactly it. It's a slam dunk. Piece of cake. So my segue talking about the IT tract, I got this really cute text from Ben Catholi this morning and it was so bizarre, bizarre, but not, but my brain is always working first thing in the morning. So that's when I write my notes and I journal and I make my lists and my plans. And I was sitting by the fireplace because it was freezing in my house this morning. And Ben starts asking me about the ITs. Like I was listening to one of your talks or looking at one of your slides and I never thought about the IT this way. It's, it's very interesting. Treatment of the IT band or iliotibial tract is very polarizing. Some people love to roll it and use the gun. That's a good face. Finally, I can say that to you now. Oh, it's just like, how could they do that? I know. And I get riled up between that and then treat people who put elbows in piriformises and psoas and stuff. And I try not to be judgy. This has been like my whole new thing is to try not to be judgy and to try not to get like reactive about certain things. This, this is the time, especially with the patient, this is the time when you say, that's an interesting thing to do to a tissue that's really well innervated. And that's interesting. It's just different than the way I work. And I have this slide that has this girl doing this because like I say, like you have a an avascular non-contractile piece of connective tissue and you want to roll it or drill it or hammer it like it and stretch it when it it's, it's non-contractile right it is this beautiful thin piece of connective tissue that acts as a useful lever for biomechanics and a source of support stabilizer beautiful does a beautiful job at that because the TFL that attaches superiorly is the contractile piece and it just acts like a it's tiny TFL's teeny tiny teeny teeny baby but when people are rolling it or asking it to contract or people say my IT band is tight I'm like that is biologically impossible the IT band cannot be tight it cannot get loose it has to slide. It has to just coexist. With and the just because it's painful doesn't mean it's tight. It's covered with free nerve endings. Yes. Hello. So that's why it hurts when you put pressure on it. Yeah. And that's why it hurts, period. Look, I get the idea. You want to mobilize it. You want it to glide and have a good relationship with the muscular structures that are underneath it. And it would be nice if it wasn't scarred down at the attachment down at the knee. That would be nice. It would be nice. So but, I could do that. Right. But I wouldn't do it with my elbow. Wouldn't do it with my elbow and I wouldn't do it with a roller. Thank you. Foam rolling is great. And I do it all the time with right. certain muscles, with a certain intent. And I guess right. that's what all of our treatments always boil down to is what is your intent? Yes. And what should it be doing that it shouldn't be doing? What should it be doing that it isn't doing? Which leads me to my next nugget. I'm going to take the train everywhere. The, what is the biggest question you get asked or the most common question you get asked when you're teaching? Oh, when I'm teaching? Yes. That's different than the questions that patients ask. Yes, but when you're teaching, what is the one thing that there's a couple that I think are the most common questions? I want to let you answer that one because the way that 
core is laid out now. You're right. It's like we answer. I've laid out the course so that the questions are answered before they think of asking them. So over the last eight years, I've found out that they had questions here because I didn't explain it properly there. Um, yeah, that, I'll have to think about that. But what is your most frequently frequently question? I think the one that I hear a lot of and I when I was on Facebook, I would see is, I don't know where to start. Oh, yeah. Where do you start? And whereas before it was like, how long do I run it? And where do I put the leads? Blah, blah, blah. But where do I start? And there's so many places that you want to start. And I think using multiple, multiple machines is an actually very selfish way of for me to feel like I'm always starting in a good spot because I know I have to get pain down first because if the patient's pain doesn't move, it doesn't matter about their range of motion. Their pain has to come down because if it doesn't, they're not going to come back. Some of them will come back, but a lot of patients. The other nice thing about multiple machines is that you don't have to guess right the first time. Right. If you treat the cord and the nerve and torn and broken in the connective tissue, would you, the, all three at one time, then there you go. Then the other two things you do take care of whatever's left. Exactly. So it's, I'm sorry, but like you're welcome at the same time because so many things, I think we, we try to just put things in categories too quickly when it comes to patients and the old way of thinking and the old way of thinking like before we had FSM training, when you were just linear with your physical medicine practice, right? So in my world, if a shoulder didn't move, it, there was two reasons. Something was tight or something was weak. That's the other, the agonist was weak and couldn't produce the contraction or the antagonist was tight, had an adhesion and was preventing the movement from occurring. Fair enough. That's a good starting point. Now, yeah. that's not the starting point. It's like that gives you a rough area to start with because if something is tight prohibiting the movement what is it tight because it's never why is it tight and that's just it right it used to be like what's on a what's on b what's the pathology what's the tissue and now it's okay you've got the pathology is adhesion you've got the tissue say it's connective tissue but the adhesion didn't develop from space and the tight muscle is in our world especially in the shoulder there's the subscap is the place I start because the subscapular nerve is always adhered to the subscapularis. Exactly. And that muscle is tight. Therefore, the external rotators and abductors are inhibited. And so that's where the partial thickness tears come from in the back. So that's three machines right there, the disc in the neck, right. the nerve in the armpit, and 124 and 77 in the external rotators and the abductors. And then you can treat right. the bursa at the very end, and there you go. Go on your way. Right. Yeah. But all the stretching and all the strength training in the world will never get a shoulder to move when there is a nerve that is adhered. Yep. And you get a two for one this way, because when you get the nerve freed up, the pain is going to go down. Yep. And when the pain goes down and the nerve is freed up and you can go in and treat someone subscap and not have to peel them off the ceiling when you're done, because that's normally what you would have to do. And then their shoulder just floats up. The rest of it falls into place. And then 124 and 77 is the other one. The No, I don't think anybody is aware of what their subscapularis is like because no nobody puts their thumb in their armpit on purpose by themselves but right. they are aware of the pain that comes from the tendinopathies or the partial thickness tears and the external rotators the infraspinatus and the teres and sometimes in the bursa so they're yeah. aware of that. So they think that is the problem. 
but it always starts in the axilla. And once you put your fingers there, the patient says, oh, that's really bad. And I think this is a very easy example to follow, but I think it's extremely symbolic of treating everything that we do in the human body. It is never, almost never where the patient is saying, this is where I feel pain and this is where it started. That's never the case. Even when you're thinking about somebody with visceral pain, which can be very tricky, it is, it's going through that seven page history that takes you two hours because you're trying to figure out, okay, what happened a year before? And then what happened a year before that? And And before that. Then the patient who says, she's so slender that it's really easy to feel her abdominal muscles. And she said, see how tender they are? And I went, yeah, they really are tender. So I just ran 40 and 22 inflammation in the small intestine because it was the rectus on both sides. And I ran allergy in the small intestine. There's no point in treating the small intestine unless you treat the vagus. On another machine, I ran. So I had one front to back on the abdomen. And then from the neck to the one on the abdomen, I ran concussion in vagus. And then I treated the small bowel. And that wasn't her complaint. Her complaint was her neck and her shoulder. So these were on autopilot while I actually worked on her shoulder. And at the end, she went, oh, my stomach feels better. Yeah. And then you can explain to them. And it's just nice to have a feel for how everything is connected to everything. Yes. Going back to running concussion in Vegas, that is almost always on my custom care all the time for every patient, no matter what stage of healing that they're in. Because even just going back to something as simple as a rotator cuff injury, we had adhesions forming and there was trauma obviously before that, that created some sort of injury that was scarring. So already when we're talking about Vegas, we should be thinking about infection. Someone's home right now. Sorry infection, stress, and trauma. So maybe there's not an infection present, but there is for sure stress and there is for sure trauma. So running the concussion in Vegas on the background while you're doing your treatment just seems like a very good thing to do no matter what, because you have to treat the Vegas. And the when the history, you ask for a linear history and it comes out like fireworks. It's just a scattershot. Automatically go and get the BIVs. Yes. The Brain Injury Visual System Symptom Questionnaire. Yeah. And I let them go through the history. And, then and is this questionnaire on, online for people to look at? Is that questionnaire online? The BIVSS? Or is it on our website for under resources or anything? No, it should directly it, findable. I think we don't we send it. I think we send it out with the core information. Okay. Kevin sends it out with the core information, but we could put it on the practitioner yeah, page. Find a spot for it. <laughs> yeah, he's going to find a logical spot for it. But okay. and then so you check for vestibular injury, and there was a patient who came who had sent in her history with so many things going on that I sent her or him a a urine mold test by mail before they ever came. So if the vagus is turned off by infection, stress, and trauma, the most common infection is mold and root canals. Yeah. And then the stress involved in not knowing where you are in space because one ear says you're here and the other ear says you're there that is that's turned out to be my practice it's that it's really fascinating so onward go wherever you were going before i th- threw the train off the tracks oh, no we're we're kind of dwindling down down with my whole riff about like the journey and the path and whatever my metaphors were Because when you start thinking about the source of the pathology, and I think that's why the course has evolved so much. And I went on a bit of a riff the other day because there was a practitioner who 
I'm not even sure took the core. And if they did, it was way back, like maybe 15 years ago. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And had an auto care and a custom care that was programmed from somebody that I'm not sure took a course. And if they did, it was like way back when also with all generic like mode bank things. Right. And it, he was explaining what had happened to himself. He's like, what should I run? And I gave him a list of frequencies and he's like, but what the, what's the protocol? And I'm like, you don't need the protocol. You need these frequencies. Why can't you just load these? And then I heard he doesn't have software. It's just this machine. And I'm like, oh, not that it's bad. It will get you somewhere, but it's just not how we do things anymore. And well, it's it, also not effective. It's not useful. You're not treating what needs to be treated because 20 years ago, 50, actually even 10 years ago, I thought what I needed to teach was frequencies. And it was about 10 years ago that it occurred to me, the most important thing is to teach people how to think. Right. That whatever it is that this patient has does not come from space. Right. It comes from some place. And I so, think these people who took the course that long ago, who, and some of them are naysayers. And I'll say to them, like, I understand why you think it doesn't work because out of that program that you gave that patient, that was an hour, they only actually needed two minutes of that because those are the only two relevant frequency pairs for that tissue. They needed so many other things. So I get it why it didn't work. And I get it why we're at where we are because we're putting scientific, professional thought into the treatment plan in a different way. Exactly. And the, uh, who did I hear this from? Oh, I know it was a physical therapist here in Portland that used to own New Heights, which was the PT place I sent my people to and my patients to. And she said, I cannot believe that people have put the frequency lists on the internet with no precautions, no contraindications, and no way to use them. Then those people get to buy a machine and look at the frequencies and make something up to put on that machine. And that's. I said, yes. And the night I found out that people had done that, there are three that put the whole core and advanced lists on the internet under Van Gelder frequencies. So Kevin was in, I think we were in Chicago in the, and I texted him and he said, we just bought the domain vangelderfrequencies.com. Like right after he got my text, he bought that domain and I made up a list of precautions and contraindications. That's what we put up first. The, and with a note, by the way, you really need to take the course so you know what you're doing. It's That was, I think my lunch had a little trouble settling after that part of the conversation. Yeah. But look where we are now. I know. I, that, that's like me with the IT draft. I get really upset, but um, because there's a better way. And I think when you know there's a better way and not just a better way, but a safer way, a more effective way, you can't not see that. Exactly. Well done. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Let's go to some questions really quick. Cause I do have a question I'd promise to ask later, but I want to get to some of these people's online sources. I'll say umbilical hernia is solved by surgery only. We suspect that Pilates and or yoga in combination with FSM might be a better option. It, de- it depends on hello anonymous. It depends on how long it's been there, how big it is. So the first thing that we have to consider when we decide to treat somebody, when we decide to treat somebody with FSM, is it safe? So is it safe to treat an inguinal hernia with FSM? Has roughly the same, close to the same precaution is, 
It's FSM is not the only thing you do. You have to tape it, bring it together, not with stretchy tape, but with rock tape, hold it together because gravity is going to win. And it has to be small enough that there is not a chance of intestinal or vascular herniation, strangulation. Right. And that's, that is non-negotiable. That is not the time to get your mind attached to, there's only one way to do thing. And FS, I can do everything I want with FSM. No, just yeah. no, no. Right. Even George. Yeah. And he tried for a year to treat them with FSM. And yeah. finally, when he did strangulate and end up in the ER and we got it reduced and kept it quiet and scheduled his surgery and he had both of them done then we treated him with FSM so somebody that comes to me and says I want to prevent my hip replacement and you look at the x-rays you watch him walk and you say that ship sailed five years ago it's no I'm the wrong guy to talk to. It's easy. Go get it replaced. Find a surgeon that you like and you trust. Yeah. Make him sign the piece of paper that says you can use FSM within four hours of the time you close in the OR. Yeah. I'll treat you afterwards, but why would you do that? It's like you can't walk. Right. And you've always done a good job. There's like a time and a place and we've never been saying like, you don't need medicine or surgery. You just need FSM. There is... Just thinking about the, the calcaneal navicular fusion that I did the case report about. Oh, yeah. There, when the diagnosis was made, the choice was to have surgery or not. But a person that is that active, when we did the MRI, the posterior compartment, there was this massive tendinopathy already starting because of compensation of this sure. dorsiflexion trying to happen that can't because there is a fusion. So they couldn't do the surgery until the growth plate was closed. So FSM was fantastic to use for the year and a half while they were waiting for the growth plate to close because you can help with all the inflammation, all the torn and broken, all the stuff that was happening due to the fusion. And then FSM is fantastic postoperatively. So I don't think, yeah, we have to get hung up on the fact that we're going to try to save the day or save a surgery. Of course, it's nice when that happens, but you still have to look at things objectively and there's always a space to help. Yeah. And patient's best interest in mind. What is it safe to use alternative therapy in this situation? Totally. Cellulitis. No. Yeah. Ulcerative colitis with an active infection. Right. Do two things at once. That's good. Yeah. Valve, cardiac valve disease. No. Now I used to say, no to DVTs. And now I say, yes, you can put them on the anticoagulant and you run vitality and torn and broken in the vein and see what happens in 24 hours. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so. It makes me very nervous though with DVTs. I had one that I had saved the person who was a marathon runner who called me and said, I pulled my calf running. So I got him in right away. And I'm like, this doesn't look like a pulled calf what were you just doing? He's like, oh, I just came back from India. I was on this really long flight. I'm like, you're going to urgent care right now to get an ultrasound. Sure enough, it was there. I still don't know if I would have treated. Like, Oh, you send them to the ER. They get the ultrasound. They get on an anticoagulant. And then you do FSM. Yeah. In a perfect world, like that case report. Yeah. Do the ultrasound. You get the D-dimer. Yeah, the anticoagulant, you add FSM to the mix, and then you get the ultrasound the next day and the thing's gone. That's pretty cool. I love that part. Yes. I wanted to go back with the hernia. I had a hockey player a couple, oh, more than a couple, maybe seven or eight years ago, who had a sports hernia that was borderline surgical. Everybody had said, let's see if we can rehab this somehow first or see what the summer looks like. And it was fantastic. We did save him from surgery, but it was a process of FSM, corrective exercise, taping, like it is a process. And yeah, I had the entire medical team behind the fact that 
this was borderline. Let's just see what happens because sometimes it is possible if it's not that bad. So that's not our call to make though. We have to work with the team. We are FSM practitioners are part of a collaborative team and some parts of the collaborative team and a public and a patient that comes from the general medical population, some parts of the team have more skills than others, shall we say. Yeah. And more detailed thought processes than others. But you still, for the patient's mindset, you have to consider everything they've been told and treat within the context. Of course, you can stay on that medication. Yeah, don't get off that medication. That's a good thing. And maybe we can help make this better quicker. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Somebody that are in for an adult recent pregnancy one year. So I guess that's the hernia. Yeah, I guess. It's, right. Yeah. No, there you um, go. Yeah. No. It, <laughs> it's still, the answer is the same. Yeah. It's only a year, possibly. And it's, we had a case report 2005, seven, nine, one in there someplace. Somebody that had dysdiastasis. Yeah. Yeah, that one. You can put it either way, but that thing. Yeah. The lady came in three times a week. Yeah. And 81 and 142. And that's all she ran. These days I would do torn and broken in the connective tissue. Yes. 81 and 142. Yes. And she did that. She sat in a chair at lunchtime for an hour. Yeah. Three hours a week and run that. And in, I think it was four weeks, she went from a size 16 to a size 12 without losing a pound. Is it, is, yeah. And it closed. Yeah. So I also treated myself after I had three kids in four years and I'm not a large and my pregnancies were all, I was out front. So my poor Linnea Alba had no chance. Yeah. So I had... I could fit my whole hand through my split. I swear I could touch my spleen. Oh my God. It was disgusting. And I was lean and I was working out. So it was very apparent. And so I did run 81 and 142, but I ran a ton of 124. And this is even back in the day when we knew it was time dependent because it just seemed so crystal clear. Like I am in this position because this piece of connective tissue tore. It tore apart and only then, and then there's a lot of exercises you can do with, especially a towel or a sheet behind you where you wrap it and you approximate your abdomen. So you're pulling it together and then you're doing all of your transverse abdominis, those corset muscles that are underneath the linea alba to contract and create that stability. The linea alba is not creating stability. It's just connective tissue. But the transverse abdominus is not going to work optimally if there's something torn and broken and adhered. And yes, you want to increase the vitality to the fascia because that is just good sense. Yeah, um, of course. For me, it was torn and broken and scarring because I had three kids back to back over four years. There's scarring involved. You are an overachiever. So. It just seemed like the right thing to do. I know people were like, do you know, guys have television at your house right now? What's going on over there? <laughs> it seemed like the right time to have all the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Did I love close? it. did. So I have like maybe one centimeter left and I'm not too concerned about it. I started treating myself. It wasn't for aesthetics. It was, I had low back pain and my core just couldn't function because of of the hole that was left there. So once my back pain went away, cause my core could actually engage and fire. And that's the thing too. I don't think people understand with diastasis is that when there's that much tearing and scarring, again, it goes to that agonist antagonist, the back muscles have to turn on all the time to provide spine stability where the abs used to participate And if there's scarring in the abdomen, there's no way your back muscles are going to elongate or flex if there's scarring that's going to get traction. And the, my favorite story of the last two months 
is a singer who, two people actually, their diaphragm wouldn't move. It's like the singer had trouble getting a deep breath because her diaphragm wasn't as mobile as it should have been. It's like in our world, yeah. the psoas weaves in from the front, the QLs weave in from the back. And you ask her, when did you fall flat on your back? When did you have a kidney infection? Oh, and there's always something. So yeah. you do the ureter, then you do the kidney, then you do the kidney fat pad, then you do that on the other side. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she can drop her diaphragm three inches and it's still, and she can take a deep breath. Yeah. And it's in our world, the set of symptoms that make us think about the ureter, the kidney, and the kidney fat pad are completely different. Yes. Someone who thinks they need to put their elbow into the QLs. And sorry, are you okay? No. Right. no. It's, I was, it, and I started with the QLs instead of the SOAS because I didn't want you to turn that shade of is that <laughs> red or gray. It depends on the context, but <laughs> yes, it's poor things. And then it's so easy. It's I know. So, and it's a two visit fix. I know. And it's funny in the sports course, there's always one person that, that treats like that. And I'm like, I'm so excited because your practice is about to totally change and you're going to get rid of all those tools. And you, I call them utensils, like the hooks and the hook, like all the things because, yeah. and it's even, I love it when chiropractors come to the course because they're so used to just putting something in place and yes, that works, but like what, and you still can adjust. I'm like, I'm never going to tell you not to adjust, but what if your adjustments were just smoother and easier and had longer lasting results because everything wanted to go in that place? And muscles move bones. Exactly. Muscles move bones. So you work on the neck. And when I have chiropractors or osteopaths in these days, even PTs, yeah, it, you do the supine cervical practicum and then you use a quarter of the force you used to use and an awful lot of times the segment will go yes click when you do the setup it just slides right Mm -hmm. in because the muscles aren't grabbing it you remember rich that i used to work with in calgary we would always tag team patients and then when he would figure out that they did so much better with him after they saw me and then eventually he'd be like i have nothing left to do so (laughs) just sorry Because it's true. Everything just gets into alignment, gets to where it needs to go. And I really do believe, and I'm I don't, I'm not trying to sound hokey, but I really do believe that the body always wants to be in an optimized position. And we know that just because that's how compensation works. If we flex forward, our anterior chain is so tight. That's why we get our necks in this position. We get this ridiculous posture because we're always trying to get our eyes and let our eyes in. Like we always want to be straight. So when is neck pain not neck pain when it starts with the psoas? Exactly. <laughs> we just figured all that out just now. I love this. But it's true. And like we're in this horrible anterior. And I don't want to use anterior chain dominant because I feel like that's like the catchphrase right now. But everything we do, we have a shortened anterior chain. We are sitting. We are flexed forward. Everything is in front of us. And I have seen one person in my professional career who had a strong posterior chain and a kind of weak anterior chain. And she was an Olympic backstroker. I was going to say backstroker butterfly. Yeah. Yeah. Like just always an extension and we're just not an extension. Amazing. But we're never going to train our backs. Like Like all these posture things are really great ideas, but when there's inhibition and scarring in the front, it's just, it's never going to hold. So you're always having to look at both sides of the spectrum. Exactly. I I love it when I just get to agree with you. I love when we are agreeing. So I have some, I have a brain, your brain, I need to pick. This is coming from a patient who is also a podcast aficionado um, asking about herself. And I think we do see a lot of patients who have chronic pancreatitis. Oh, any comments or any oh, yeah. or any history of treating patients with this? Oh yeah. So the question is, what are the lipase levels? So generally, 
if you're looking for pancreatic cancer, they used to do amylase. When I had pancreatitis, primary pancreatitis, they did lipase first, then amylase, and they were both low. So the question is, so let's, how do you diagnose pancreatitis? That's the first part. You do blood work and you look at lipase, which is an enzyme the pancreas puts out, and amylase. If the lipase is low and the amylase is low, it means the pancreas can't make it, Mm. right? The pancreas is not working right. If the lipase and the amylase are high, it means that the pancreas cells, for whatever reason, are breaking apart. And when they break apart, they release the enzymes that should be inside the pancreas they release it into the bloodstream. And so those enzymes show up in high levels in the bloodstream. So those are two different kinds of pancreatitis. My pancreatitis was from mold. So I had stachybotrys and one other kind. And stachy colonizes the upper intestine. Right. And Neil said, he hadn't seen, but maybe two people that developed pancreatitis from mold, but there's that. Yeah. There's two different kinds. The other thing is we had a case report in 2005 or 2007. And the patient was in the hospital with pancreatitis, severe pancreatitis. They put him on a fasting diet. They feed them basically IV so that the just saline, so the pancreas doesn't have to put anything out. And patient had been in the hospital for two weeks, not a lot of improvement. The patient asked the doctor, can my naturopath come in and run some microcurrent? And the doctor said, got nothing to lose. So the practitioner came in. And in, I think he did two treatments, three treatments a week in two weeks, and the pancreatitis was gone. Wow. So we have an N of one case report that says, yes, we can treat pancreatitis. The thing you have to make out, make sure about, and I'm hoping that someone else has done this but you can never be entirely sure these days. They need to do blood work and find out about liver enzymes. If the pancreatic enzymes are really high and the next step is to do an ultrasound or an abdominal MRI, but usually it's an ultrasound. You have to rule out pancreatic cancer. That's the short version. So if they have pancreatic cancer, we're out. We're done. Yeah. Just nope. Don't even go there. Yeah. And if it's simple pancreatitis, how much do they drink? How much alcohol do they drink? How much sugar do they consume? How much artificial sweetener do they consume? You can look up the other causes of pancreatitis and see if any of those fit the patient's history. I know for my patient, she is very clean, has SIBO, a host of other Ehlers-Danlos, like there's, oh, so her diet is pristine because she can't digest a lot of foods. Um, The pancreatitis is, your patient has pancreatitis? Yeah. And she's Ehlers-Danlos? Yeah. And she has SIBO? Yeah. And cell EMF sensitivity. Uh, And what? EMF sensitivity. Yes, this is what I see now. Turn the bagus on. (laughs) Yes, yes. And she has a custom care and we, she does it all the time. So, and, so, and I, if it's your patient, then I already know you've checked the enzymes, you've checked the ultrasound. We already know all the bad stuff isn't there. And then just like, literally you can put inflammation in the pancreas on for 60 minutes and torn and broken and yeah. whatever toxic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. My alarm is going off because it somehow got us to four o'clock. Okay. How the, there's some sort of wormhole or time warp. It is, it's the vortex. It's the vortex of lost time. 
is what happens this hour. Something, yeah, the wormhole. I actually have, I have two quotes today because okay. I didn't decide on one and our podcast today went to both the places. Forest. I like the forest. It, yeah, that's just what I see right now, running through the forest and how I can remove these obstacles to healing. Yeah. So the first one is from Maya Angelou, which I love her. And it just, it, and I want to put this in the clinic, I think. And it says every storm runs out of rain. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Like it's super simple. Like a lot of her stuff is when we're seeing patients in the storm, I think they have to be reminded that even the worst storm, the most dangerous, terrifying storm will run out of rain. I like that. Yes. Yeah. And my other one was going back to the first part of the podcast with people who haven't taken courses or who are giving like some interesting opinions and advice. And this is when setting out on a journey, do not seek advice from those who have never left home. Oh, I like that. So I think too, as practitioners, when we can identify with somebody's pain or you yourself always say to patients, like, there's nothing I haven't seen or had myself. And there's comfort in that. And I'm grateful for our FSM community, because when I don't know the answer, and I was not on that journey, and I never left home, I can't advise somebody, I have an army of people on speed dial that I can't ask. So yeah. I think it's important that we we ask people for help. This isn't a quote, but I, I have to slip it in. Do it. Um, we were supposed to do two weeks of masterclass in Hawaii. Yes. Plus, and then we added a week of the core. Yeah. And I watched my staff trying to figure out how they were going to staff three weeks away from home. And I watched it and I watched it. And yesterday I looked at, there's a poster, it's called Carol's Rules. And because I watch NCIS and there's Gibbs Rules, right? Yeah. So rule number one is it has to work for everybody or it doesn't work. Yes. And then rule number eight is be a student of easy. Yes. So as I watched everybody, including me, struggle with three weeks away from home, it's like, wait, there's a way to fix this. Rule number one, rule number eight. So just for everybody that's listening, we're doing a core in Kona. And then we're doing one week with masterclass. Okay. And I actually haven't decided whether we're going to do a five-day masterclass or a two and a two with a day off in between. And the sports course is somewhere in there too. Oh, that's right. So okay. we'll work around that. So but I, I don't need help for my stuff. So mine's, oh, and then we're, sports course is coming to Troutdale. We lock those. Oh, yes. so Kevin can put them up. We've confirmed it. No, I don't need anybody's help. I just need the keys to open up and we're running. I think there's already two or three people signed up. So May 20th, right? 20th. Yeah, May 20th, 21st. Oh. Um, come to the wonderful FSM training center and come take a quick sports course weekend with me. And I'm probably going to sit in the back and watch. Yes, of course you have to. Yeah. So that's super exciting. And yeah, I had to make the decision too of cancel, not canceling. I'm just going to postpone Australia for a year because I also was doing that. How can I leave home for two weeks in October, which is my busiest month? Australia will happen. It's just not going to happen this October for me. Rule number Apologies, but I will get there. <laughs> we will get there. Yeah. Yay. All right, everybody. Wonderful Wednesday. Yeah. And we I we will both not be here next Wednesday. We are both on airplanes, but you guys are getting Rob DiMartino all by himself with his awesomeness. Amazing how that just worked out that he was available while we both. On airplanes, I am at Balawa Lake oh. with my dog oh. hiking. And then there's a little town called, name fell out of my brain. Anyway, there's a living town joseph called joseph that has three bronze foundries in it and in this little main street there are at least six or eight art galleries and cafes and then three miles away is Wallawa lake so you'll be on airplanes i'm going to be hiking with my dog 
enjoy that. Good this for is you. My first non-work vacation since 1992. Wow. <laughs> good for you. I'm surprised and not surprised all at the same time. So good for you. Well Thank done. Thank you very much. I get extra points. Yes, you do. And we get to hear all about it when we come back. And now I'm going to think of you as I walk through the forest. Yes. There we go. Think of me dodging the puddles and getting inspired and finding my way. Yeah, exactly. And and smelling and feeling all the things. You got it. I love you. Love you back. Bye, everybody. See you in two weeks. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.